evening. This evening's reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 33. What I'd like to do is invite you to take a Bible if you don't have one already, and if you need one at home, please take one home with you. And it's found, the uh, reading's found on page 701. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bruce. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story of Jesus uh, and uh, his first sermon recorded in the Gospel of Luke. I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, so that we can hear and understand and, and take to our heart uh, what you want us to hear this evening. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about the poor. He cares about those who live on welfare. He cares about those who live below the poverty line. Jesus cares about those who are on Medicaid. Those who will probably never live in the town of Westford 
unless it's in low-income housing. Jesus cares about the rural white poor, and he cares about the inner-city black poor. Jesus cares about prisoners. Jesus cares about captives. He cares for people behind bars, people that are in prisons and jails. And he doesn't just care for the innocent ones. He cares for the guilty ones. He cares for felons. He cares for violent offenders, for white-collar criminals. Jesus cares about sex offenders. He cares about those locked up in MCI and Concord, and he cares about those locked up in Middlesex House of Correction, right off Route 3. Jesus cares. He cares about the blind. He cares about the blind who are blind physically, but then also those who are blind spiritually. He cares for the sick and the diseased. He cares if you're not feeling well. He cares if you have the flu. He cares if you're struggling with infertility. He cares uh, if you've had a lot of surgeries or are getting some sort of treatment. Jesus cares about you. Jesus cares about those who are struggling with mental illness, who are struggling with physical illness, who are struggling with spiritual illness. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about the oppressed. He cares about those who are socially, socially and economically oppressed, beaten down. He cares about those who are spiritually and morally beaten down. He cares about those who are depressed and sad and anxious. Jesus cares about unjust laws and burdensome taxes. <laughs> Jesus cares. Luke wrote this gospel, this good news about Jesus, to tell us Jesus cares. Jesus cares about the oppressed, about the outsider, about those that when we look at our culture, our culture doesn't always value. Jesus cares about these kinds of people. When Luke wrote this, he wrote it to uh, Hellenistic Jews, kind of Greek-speaking Jews who would have normally kind of been on the outside of the uh, kind of the religious inner circle of the day. He wrote to the outsiders. And this whole gospel, the gospel of Luke, would have been a, a huge encouragement to the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed as they read it and as they received the good news about Jesus. Luke wrote it to show that Jesus is kind of ushering in a kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom, the social structures are reversed. <laughs> the rich and the powerful, the ones who are clearly seen and heard in our culture and considered valuable, they're not the ones who are elevated in Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of God. The ones who are elevated are, are the poor and the prisoners and the unheard, the outsiders, not the insiders. Jesus flips it. That's kind of like a, an upside-down kingdom. Now, I want us to look at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, this story of Jesus being rejected at Nazareth because it shows us a little bit about this kingdom and how God values the lowly. 
how Jesus values the lowly. And we're going to pick up right after where Terry left off last week. Terry told us about the temptation of Jesus Christ in the wilderness. If you weren't here for that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it on our website. You'll learn a lot. But Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And then after that, just like our video showed, he returned to the region of Galilee. Galilee is not like where, where it's at. <laughs> Galilee is not the central hub of the Middle East. You should really go to, to, to Jerusalem or really to go to Rome if you want to be at the kind of the center of activity and power. Galilee is this northern region of Jerusalem, Judea, that isn't well known, that isn't powerful. And then Jesus goes to a little town of Nazareth. <laughs> That's his hometown. We all have a a hometown or a place that we call our hometown. And, uh, you know, I heard one person say there's probably about 400 people in this hometown, so not a big, booming town. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He opens one of the, the scrolls that they had. They, they probably did not have, like, the entire Old Testament. but They have a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he, he unrolls it. It's much larger probably than what was in the video. It wasn't like this little thing. It was a big thing. (laughs) And he begins to read these words. And I want to go back to the actual words in Isaiah that Jesus would have read. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to, bl- to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. I want us to take a moment and kind of think about Isaiah 61 We need to understand the context, right? Don't just read a Bible verse by itself. Kind of look at the Bible verses around it. And so let's look back at Isaiah. Isaiah 60, uh, the the chapter right before it. In Isaiah 60, the the prophet Isaiah is writing to the nation of Israel, and he paints this picture. And this isn't going to be too hard to imagine for you, but he paints the picture that the whole earth is covered in darkness, so if we were to turn off all these lights, just, just darkness descends over the entire earth. A thick darkness covering all peoples. But then he promises that God is going to do something about this darkness. God is going to send a sunrise. And the sunrise is God's own presence, his glory. He's going to send his own glory into these people, specifically the people of Israel. And through them, this great light is going to come to the whole world. So it's going to be a sunrise through a people. And then those people are supposed to share that light with those around them. Now we wonder, okay, so how's this going to happen? How's this glory going to come? And that's where Isaiah chapter 61 comes in. In the first couple verses, we we are reading how this light is going to come, and it's going to come through an anointed one. Anointed one is the kind of the, the Hebrew meaning of Messiah. In Old Testament Israel, uh, when they chose like a king, the prophets would anoint them. So we see this, Saul being anointed, David being anointed. We see the kings being anointed. And God has promised that he's going to send his anointed one, that he has anointed his king, his Messiah. The Greek word for Messiah is Christ. 
Christ means anointed one. So whenever someone shouts Jesus Christ in a bad way, you can be like, amen. Jesus is the anointed one. (laughs) And this Messiah in Isaiah chapter 61, he's going to do something. He's going to preach good news to the poor, to the captives, to the sick. And, and, And by proclaiming the good news, he is ushering in a new day. He is ushering in the sunrise through his words. He's he's bringing a new era in history. In Isaiah 61 and in Luke, they call this the year of the Lord's favor. That doesn't mean that there was just like 365 days that God was pleased to, to be gracious to people. It means, no, like there's this new time period that's being ushered in through the anointed one. The light has come. Have you ever been like camping and your batteries run out? <laughs> I, I, I went cave camping a couple of years ago and my batteries ran out. And that's like the worst place to run out of batteries is when you're cave camping because there's no light. Thankfully, my friends had lights, so I had to rely on them and there was a fire. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're going camping. Maybe you're up in uh, uh, New Hampshire. You're, you're out. You're maybe at Franconia Notch State Park. You're camping, and your lights go out. Your batteries die. And then like, your batteries for your, your spouse, your husband, your wife, your kids, all of their batteries go out. Well, the night would suddenly become a little bit scarier, wouldn't it? <laughs> Because you couldn't, like, shine the light. Every sound you heard, you would think it's a bear. Well, you wouldn't think it's a bear. You were like wife and kids. They would think it's a bear. But you wouldn't be afraid, right? You would want that light to come. Maybe you would call the local park ranger and say, hey, could you bring, like, a light up here or a battery? Maybe you'd go get it. And when that light came, it would just change the dynamic of your camp, Right? You wouldn't be scared anymore. You wouldn't be frightened because the darkness would be pushed away. Now, Isaiah is painting this picture not to say like literal darkness. He's really talking about kind of like this metaphor, this allegory. He's saying sin is covering the world. Sin's covering the world and it's keeping everyone in darkness, like mental, intellectual. uh, Their souls are in darkness. Their hearts are in darkness. They want the wrong things. They think the wrong things. Everyone's in darkness and they need a light. They need forgiveness. They need God to come in and change their hearts and their minds. And so how does God do that? Through his anointed one, through his Messiah, through the one who will proclaim good news. See, it's like like the light... (laughs) The, the, the anointed one, he isn't going to carry the light. It's going to shine out of his mouth. <laughs> so can you imagine like someone walks into your campsite, like you, it's all dark, and you see a light flickering, and you hear them talking, and every time they talk, like light comes shooting out of their mouth. That's kind of the picture we get in the Bible. Is that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to preach lightness. He's going to preach like the day into the night. It's going to come from his lips. And he's going, to proclaim, he's going to proclaim forgiveness for sins, that if you repent and put your faith in him, there will be forgiveness. See, it's, it's not by a sword that he will liberate his people. It's not by a new government. 
It's not by any sort of legislation that he will liberate his people. It's by his words. It's by the things he says. And that is how he is going to address the sin problem in the lives of his people. See, God is not content for you and for me. He's not content for us to live in darkness. He's not content for us to live in spiritual captivity. He, he cares about us. He wants to call us out of it. He wants to call us out of things like lust. He, want us, he wants to call us out of uh, kind of uh, being bound to our passions, to our sins. He wants to call us out of our own selfishness, our own bitterness. He wants us, you and I, that trust God, that have a relationship with God to experience spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom from our sins. It's kind of thinking about this passage this week. I was thinking about what it means for Jesus to come and say that he is bringing freedom to the captives. Because we're all captive to something, right? Or we've gone through periods in our life where, where we feel captive to, to anger or hurt or bitterness. And I've realized re recently, well, it's not even something recently, but I've, I've kind of wrestled with bitterness in my heart. Bitterness towards an individual. And every time I would feel kind of the bitterness, the hurt, kind of well up in me again, I would kind of just repress it, right? Just kind of bottle it up inside because that works. <laughs> I'd say, Lord, I forgive this individual. I forgive, I forgive. And it just kept like resurfacing in my heart, the hurt and the bitterness. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was like, I want this to be true in my life for this issue, <laughs> I want to be set free from this bitterness. And so I was like, I'm going to trust you, Lord. And I'd put a lot of thought into it, but I went and I had a conversation with the individual. And I confessed my bitterness. And I addressed some issues. And I feel set free. <laughs> like, I, I, my heart has been, like, there's this burden that's been lifted off my heart. I think Jesus can do that for you. Whatever situation you're going with, like don't, don't keep walking forward in captivity. It's not worth it. Let's, let's deal with our sins. Let's, let's bring them to Jesus and, and, and go where he's calling us to go to deal with them. And let's be set free. Jesus is serious about freedom. <laughs> He sets our hearts free. He sets the captives free. And he's, he's all about this spiritual freedom, freedom from our sins. And that makes a real difference on our lives, doesn't it? Because sometimes when we talk about like forgiveness and holiness and love and compassion, it, it, it sounds a bit abstract, right? It sounds like, a, like, okay, you're operating in the clouds. But God wants this to be real in our lives, Jesus wants this to be real in our lives. I don't think he would have gone to this passage unless he wanted it to, to, to enter into our reality. 
Now, Isaiah 61, the passage that he went to, I don't think Jesus went there by mistake. And Isaiah 61 is not unique. (laughs) The Bible references itself a lot. Kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Inception, a dream within a dream within a dream. We're talking about the Gospel of Luke today, which is telling us the story of Jesus. Jesus is referencing Isaiah, and Isaiah is actually referencing Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, specifically the year of Jubilee. Leviticus 25.10, consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family, property, and to your own clan. So the Hebrew word for liberty in Leviticus 25.10 is the same Hebrew word for freedom in Isaiah 61 verse 1. I know this because Terry told me so. (laughs) I double-checked it. I would never have seen that. The year of Jubilee. Maybe you know what it's about. Maybe you don't. That's fine. It's a special year that God gave the nation of Israel, kind of his kingdom on earth. It was supposed to be in the Old Testament. On the 50th year, something significant would happen every year in Israel's, in every kind of 50 years in their life. Property owners were supposed to return all the land they had purchased to the original families, the original owners. They were supposed to set free every slave and every servant. And all debts were supposed to be canceled. So your whole family couldn't like lose your land for generations and generations. You couldn't be enslaved and you couldn't be under like this this mountain of debt for years and years. But here's the tragedy. (laughs) Israel never celebrated the year of Jubilee that we know of. See, God's kingdom is supposed to look different. Israel was supposed to look different. We're supposed to look different. Israel was supposed to experience spiritual liberty, but also physical, economic, and social liberty. They were supposed to be a nation set apart that looked different than all the other nations. And see, where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus began to usher this in to the kingdom, to the kingdom on earth that he was bringing in the right way. See, he came to proclaim this social justice, this social gospel, this gospel that impacts my heart forgives me of my sins, but also impacts my community and my society. Jesus came to set women free from having to sell their bodies. He came to set men free from having to sell their lives. Jesus came to to create an eternal home for the homeless. He came to fix our hearts and our world. Now, this doesn't mean that because of Jesus, like we're all going to get whatever we want in this life and every wrong will be set right. But as Jesus' kingdom comes into this world, which he began to usher in, as it comes into the town of Westford through Cornerstone Congregational Church, as we see it come into other towns through, through gospel preaching and living gospel lives, we should see a change that impacts our heart but also impacts our culture. Like, lives should be changed <laughs> with the gospel. The poor should, should feel the difference. 
Prisoners should feel the difference. Those in captivity should be set free. See, when Jesus is referencing Isaiah, which is then referencing Leviticus, he's doing this wonderful thing. He is tying together both spiritual transformation and physical transformation. See, the year of Jubilee was not just a purely like materialistic or kind of physical holiday. There, there was also a spiritual dynamic about it. So the year of Jubilee, it kicked off on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is, is Israel's most significant holiday every year, where the high priest would go and make sacrifices for the sins of the people. So do you see the two dynamics that are taking place? There's forgiveness for sins that is taking place, and there's, there's like this social, physical, economic freedom that's also taking place. The two become one. Now, being, on, being in the synagogue on that Sabbath day, Jesus would have looked around at these people <laughs> and seen their needs. He would have seen their needs as he began his ministry, right? As he walked through Jerusalem, as he grew up there for 30 years, he would have seen the poverty. He would have seen the spiritual poverty, the economic poverty. I want us to read Luke 4, 18 through 19 again. That's what uh, the kind of the, the selection we get, I want us to notice what Jesus is saying once again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In verse 21, Jesus says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Isaiah is talking about me. See, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus is claiming to be the anointed one. Jesus is claiming to be the Christ. I am the Christ, Jesus is saying. In other words, Jesus is the one with the mouth light. <laughs> Jesus is the one who, when he speaks, light shoots out into the darkness, lighting the whole world up. When, when Jesus speaks, when he talks, the sun rises, sin flees, and the poor, spiritually, economically, the, the downtrodden, the, the, the hurt, the captives, they are elevated in God's kingdom. They're considered valuable. In one day, every wrong will be made right. Doesn't mean in this lifetime, but as God's kingdom breaks into this world, they will be made right. And one day when Christ returns, the kingdom will be here. And those that were, were despised and rejected won't be anymore. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God in its beginnings not in its fullness. Luke 4.43, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. As we read the gospel of Luke, so if you, if you take time and I would encourage you to like sit down and maybe over a day or two try to read through the whole gospel, you see Jesus fulfilling all of these things. He brings good news to the poor. He heals the blind. 
He sets the captives free. He, he, he casts out demons. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist, you guys remember him, he sent his disciples to investigate whether or not Jesus was the Messiah, whether or not Jesus was the anointed one. This is what we see taking place. Verses 21 through 22. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers that John had sent, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus fulfills this. Not just that day, but throughout his entire ministry. Now this is pretty great. It's wonderful to learn about Jesus, but how does this impact us? How does this impact our lives? Well, remember in Isaiah 60, like the, the nation of God, the people of God, they're supposed to spread the great light. And then as we look at Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, what do we see? We see Jesus proclaiming the good news. Now, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that means we kind of live lives that are copies of his life. We live lives that seek to follow after his life. And that means we're called also to proclaim the good news. That means each one of us, we also have a mouth light. We also have this flashlight that we can bring into the darkness of our cubicles, the darkness of our offices, the darkness of our, our streets, the darkness of our families, the darkness of our communities. And we can shine the light in the darkness as we speak the words of forgiveness that Jesus offers. As we tell the world about him, the Messiah, the anointed one. But there are some places that maybe we need to be a little bit more intentional about going, some dark places in our culture, among the poor, among the oppressed, among the downtrodden, the prisoners, the sick. At Cornerstone, we have a target audience. Our target audience, the, kind of the, the first people that we kind of think about when we do our ministry is families with children and youth, teenagers. Now, that's a starting point not a bad place to start ministry, but if I were to look at this text, I would say, well, that's not necessarily where Jesus started his ministry. If I were to look at Luke 4 and ask, who is Jesus' target audience, who would you say? Well, his target audience is the poor, the downtrodden, the outcast, the oppressed. I want you to pause for a moment and imagine what Jesus' target audience looks like. I want you to imagine a poor person. I want you to imagine a prisoner. I want you to imagine someone who is spiritually captive to a sin. I want you to imagine an outsider. That's the kind of person that Jesus came for. And these aren't people that I would normally feel comfortable with. <laughs> that person in your imagination makes me feel awkward. Because <laughs> I didn't grow up around them. I don't talk like them. I probably don't smell like them. I, I can't relate to some of the experiences of that person. 
But that doesn't matter. Jesus still calls us to, to minister to them, to, to seek to reach out to them. See, we are challenged, we're challenged a lot by this passage. We're challenged to cross boundaries, to overcome walls, to go to, to prisoners in prisons, to go to people in cities that we might not normally visit, to go spend time with people that aren't like us, because Jesus cares. Because Jesus cares about them. When Jesus' audience heard this message, this message of spiritual liberty and physical liberty, they had a pretty good reaction at first. They were amazed at his gracious words, and it says that they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, I don't think they're actually criticizing Jesus. I think they're claiming Jesus. You know when there's someone from your hometown that makes it to like a big, I don't know, uh, the Olympics or, or like on a television show in your newspaper or your, like your local website and the social media, you'll see a whole bunch of stories about that person. I think they're kind of claiming him. They know that he's going to be big. They know he's going to be famous. And they kind of want some of the benefits of that, right? Nazareth is the Messiah's hometown. We're, we did something real great. <laughs> We're better than all those other hometowns. And Jesus doesn't have it. Jesus won't have any of it. Luke 4, 23, Jesus says this. He says, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. Capernaum. Jesus knows that they're not really interested in spiritual liberty. They're, they're kind of interested in economic power. So they want the benefits of Jesus' kingdom without the rule and reign of the king in their lives. This is what we call the prosperity gospel. I want, like, I want the kingdom of God in its fullness now. I want the riches, I want the wealth, I want the happiness. And God, you're just kind of like this add-on part. <laughs> Jesus, like it's great that you come with this because you bring it, but you're just the delivery boy. See, God is interested not just in changing our world, but changing our lives, changing our souls. He wants to forgive sins. He wants us to repent Jesus tells two stories to them. He tells them the story of Elijah. Elijah helped a widow, but none of the widows in Israel. He helped a widow outside of Israel. And then Elijah killed, uh, not killed, he, Elijah healed a leper, but it wasn't a leper from Israel. And there were plenty of lepers in Israel. In both those stories, we see these Old Testament prophets caring for people outside of the in crowd. They're healing and caring for the outsiders. See, the gospel isn't just for us. The gospel is for them. Christianity isn't just for Christians. Christianity is for non-Christians. And when, when, 
when the, his hometown audience hears that Jesus is not going to prioritize them, that it's not all about them, they get angry. They get mad. They say, what? They try to throw him off a cliff. They try to murder him just because he won't show them favoritism. Sometimes I feel like Christianity is just about me. It's about me, right? It's not. It's about them. It's always about them. Over the holidays, I saw a Chevy commercial, and it it featured Chevy employees, not actors. And it showed them kind of home for the holidays, buying Christmas trees, fixing Christmas dinners, eating meals together. And every like shot had a really nice Chevy in it. And then uh, the, the employees said this, this time of year is all about family and we'd like you to be a part of ours. So our Chevy employee discount is now available to everyone. You pay what we pay and not a cent more. We're so happy to share with you. It's our way of saying happy holidays and welcome to the family, the Chevy family. That had to cost them something, right? Now, they're obviously trying to make back up what it cost them by more cars being sold, but it it cost them a little bit of exclusivity. It cost them a little bit of privilege. And when we recognize that The message of Jesus isn't just for me, but it's for them. It's for the outsider. It costs us a little bit of privilege. It costs us a little bit of exclusivity. And I think Jesus is honored in that sacrifice. We have something to share that is way better than a new Chevy. (laughs) We have have light to share in the darkness. And we we can... it doesn't cost us any money. We can just share with our words this, 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 this life-changing, world, world-changing message. We can share a sunrise with the words that we say. Jesus cares. He cares about our physical needs, our social, our economic, but he cares about our spiritual needs too. It's my prayer for us as a church as we head into 2018 that we would be serving, that we would be working to to address the sin in people's lives, the spiritual need, but that we'd also be working to address the physical needs we see all around us because that's what it means for God's kingdom to to break into a real time and a real place. It's a good thing that Jesus came to save people that don't look like him, (laughs) that don't talk like him, that don't smell like him. That's all of us. Jesus came to save us. We were outsiders. And through repenting of our sins and putting our faith in him, we become insiders in the kingdom of God. And I want everyone to have that opportunity Jesus cares. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that he does care about all of our needs. Thank you for everyone here tonight and those that might have watched us on the Facebook live stream. Would they sense, would we all sense your presence and that you care about us? 
We remember the cross, and that, that is the ultimate demonstration of care. Please bless this offering. In Jesus' name, amen.